Hey everyone, this is Matt Scott, creator of 180 Degrees of Impact. And as you'll probably notice, the song Bleem Shroom Forest by Jade Liam Traskell is not playing this week. And the episode is also labeled as a bonus episode. That's because this week's episode of 180 Degrees of Impact is a very special episode in the style of Saved by the Bell classic Jesse's song, as well as many other episodes of sitcoms from way before I was born. Today, I want to share my conversation with Thomas Fratkin from his podcast, Roundtable Chats. And for those who don't know, Thomas is someone who I interviewed for 180 Degrees of Impact a few months ago. And his podcast, Roundtable Chats, is a platform where ideas are challenged, stories are told, and lives are changed. And in particular, Thomas goes very deep, which is why you probably noticed that this is longer than some of the conversations that I would typically share through 180 Degrees of Impact. And it's because for about two hours this past Past weekend, Thomas and I sat connected over Skype and just spoke about life. And so this podcast is actually a lot about my story and, and my life based on the questions that Thomas asked. Um, I really hope that this doesn't force you to unsubscribe and drive you away from the podcast. I hope that you appreciate hearing it because I really loved having this chat with Thomas. And yeah, I, I hope that you enjoy it. If you want to listen to this bonus episode, go ahead. Um, if you hate it and hate hearing about me, then uh, definitely email me at hello at let's.care because hopefully we could talk it out and become friends or something. Um, but in all seriousness, I really loved talking with Thomas and I'm so thankful for the chance that he gave me not only to share my perspective in life with others, but even more just to think about a lot of things that, that we hadn't thought about. I, I love the format that Thomas takes in approaching his podcast because he doesn't send prep questions. I knew that he would start by asking the question, what are you grateful for? But really, I did not anticipate that we would go um, as deep as we did. So um, I'll put a little bit more about the podcast from Thomas's notes in the show notes. But again, hoping you tune in for the very next episode of the 180 Degrees of Impact podcast when I post that over the next week. If you do want to learn more about 180 Degrees of Impact and hear more of the conversations I'm up to, or if you just love this interview and want to subscribe to my email list, just visit www.letscare. And again, as a reminder, please, I would love if you're hearing this, if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, it will definitely go a long way to help uh, me further the work that I'm doing with 180 Degrees of Impact. And get some new eyes and ears on it. So um, thanks again. And as I say at the start of my podcast interviews with others, take a listen. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Thomas Fracken, and this is the Round Table Chats podcast, episode 10. I'm here with my friend, Matt Scott. Uh, Matt is the founder of 180 Degrees of Impact, and he's the manager of storytelling engagement at Second Muse. Um, Matt, welcome to the Round Table. Hey, thanks for the introduction, Thomas. I'm glad I could be part of it. And I didn't realize I would be number 10. It's a, a major milestone. So it's a, it's a huge honor for me to be uh, conversation number 10 as part of your 
roundtable chats. So thank you. Yeah, of course. No, my pleasure. Um, yeah, so let's just dive into it. Um, what are you? Uh, what are you grateful for? Okay, that's <laughs> that's a huge question, and that's tough. Uh, that I, I was actually thinking about that a lot before, obviously being familiar with your other conversations, and um, a lot of things came to mind, and people came to mind. But overall, I would say I'm really thankful for just love in general, in the sense that, um, like, there's so much love and I don't feel like I give it enough time or attention and recognition, but like, you know, my family, like my mom, for instance, and my, my siblings, um, like the people who are always there for you. Um, I'm really grateful for them and all that they've, um, been for me my, my whole life and even love for my dad, um, before he passed away, like all that love, um, is something I still carry. And then there's the love from people who you don't expect. Like, I feel like, you know, like sometimes you, you, you know, go to an event or in the case of, um, like my trip to, to LA recently, I ended up sitting on a plane next to someone who ended up being my mentor at the, the training that I attended. And we had like an awesome two and a half hour conversation. I didn't know anyone at the training going into it. I didn't know what to expect. And like that much like love and time and care was something that I appreciated. So like, I'm really grateful for that. And then just something I'm trying to learn more of is self-love and trying to like, you know, make time for myself and have self-compassion and self-care. And so, yeah, I think love sums it up in, in all, in a bunch of different ways, mostly because it's kind of cheating. Like it covers a lot <laughs> of different ground. Yeah. <laughs> I totally cheated on, on that question, no, but I hope no. you don't uh, judge me too much. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, no, it's funny. You're talking about the love you felt when you're on the airplane. I, I, I've been thinking like, that's one of my favorite places to have conversations. Um, and to write as well, where it's like, yeah. you don't have any distractions. It's almost like you're away from the world and like, even in a different dimension. And, uh, there's nothing else you can do, especially if you don't have Wi-Fi yeah. or anything. And so you can really get to know somebody. I, I think going back to December, I, I learned things about my dad, who's like 70 yeah. now that I never learned before when we were just on an airplane together um, and just having a conversation. So you just gave me an idea. I mean, I, I won't be able to really do it, but if I could do, you know, my podcast on an airplane, that would be, <laughs> that would be ideal. It's funny. I was actually thinking about that because like you mentioned 180 degrees of impact. And I, I I went to this training in, in Los Angeles for the climate reality project, which is this thing by Al Gore that he, um, has done for, for several years where he has now like mobilized 17,000 people as climate reality leaders. And Mm so, um, you know, I was flying to LA and I was having this conversation and I was thinking to myself midway, like, why am I not recording this for 180 degrees of impact? And then (laughs) I also just started that as like a podcast. So some of the episodes uh, or some of the conversations that I've had for 180 degrees of impact are now um, in the podcast app. I actually need to edit and and put another one up today. So uh, yeah, it's, it's like, it's funny that you say that because I ended up recording some stuff while I was on the plane um, out of LA, Mm -hmm. uh, that I can hopefully put on their podcast. And I don't know, it's cool. I I think it's awesome. You know, there's a lot of 
sound and noises and things going on on a plane that are, would probably make for a really interesting roundtable chat. Um, like a lot of like, you know, sometimes baby is crying, so that's not the best, but like no. all of like the, the flight announcements and everything, I think are just nice ambient noise when you're on a plane, if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, it could make nice little nice little breaks uh, in the conversation yeah. um, for sure. Yeah, maybe you have to be like a private jet or something. I don't know. I- <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, on a commercial flight, it's fine as long as no one complains. And I don't know. I, I will say when I was recording on my flight out of L.A., again, just kind of recording some stuff about the training that hopefully I could put out as – a bonus episode on the podcast or, or something I'll figure out what to do. But, um, you know, I was, it, it was while we were still on the tarmac. So I very well could have been on the phone, which is an acceptable thing to be doing on right. the plane. Um, otherwise I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you could get away with recording a, a full podcast without people kind of, uh, calling the flight attendant over. <laughs> Like what's going on? Yeah, it's reminding me. I think on my fifth episode of mine, I, I, for such a long time, I was trying to get this retired army colonel to do a podcast with him. We're trying to find the right time to do it. I found him through LinkedIn. And when it finally the time was aligned, I was in a hostel in Richmond, Virginia, and there was no like quiet room for me to do it in. So I was just in the main lobby and I was just I just did the full you know podcast and interview. And so it always makes me cringe. But when you listen to it, you can hear like doors slamming, you know, or opening back and forth. So one time you can hear, I think, a baby or like a little kid in the background briefly. And, but he was like he was a trooper. He, he was fine with it. I just felt bad because i'm like ah oh, here's the other ones there's no disturbances and i'm just sitting here in the lobby and making eye contact with people briefly and being like don't say anything yeah i mean i think they, the <laughs> i'm i totally get that like the the background noise adds character to it but sure. also like the only i think the only time i've done a 100 Actually, one of the only times I've done a 108 degrees of impact chat where there's background noise was with you when there was like a cleaning <laughs> person at GW who, who was walking through and we were clearly recording and she was like slamming trash cans and everything. She had to do her job. I can't fault her, but uh, yeah, it adds character and it, I think it just makes it I like <laughs> maybe this, it's on like a more serious note, but it just makes it more human when there are those like mistakes or mess ups or just funny awkward moments that that pop up you know yeah no for sure um that's true uh yeah so i just want to get to know more um about your origin story like who is matt yeah. scott you know I, I know you've had an incredibly interesting life and so yeah i just love to dive more into the the beginning <laughs> i know where should i where where do you think i should start how early are we talking where, wherever you want whatever you think is relevant uh, well, wow. Okay. I, my head went right all the way back to like the, you know, my birth, the, birth, and, yeah, uh, the, inception. the hospital, yeah. but I think that might be a little bit too far back. So, um, uh, you know, I, I'll, I mean, I'm, so I'm from like West Orange, New Jersey, which is in Northern New Jersey, not too far from New York city. And, um, West Orange is apparently where, where Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Fun fact. 
but I, I, I tell people that and they, a lot of them dispute it for some reason. <laughs> Either way, we have the Thomas Edison Museum in, in town. So okay. that's one of the claims to fame for, for West Orange. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of grew up in this place that now I realize in retrospect was like pretty, um, I mean, diverse in, in, in terms of like the different cultures that you would find mixing. So like, I mean, I'm not Catholic, but I went to Catholic school growing up because my parents were, you know, they they thought it was a great school experience. I think it was like a a really good experience. I'm glad they did that. Um, You know, and so there's a lot of like Irish Catholic people in in West Orange, but then you also have a strong Jewish community. There's also like, and especially now there's more of a black community and Hispanic community. And uh, you just have a lot of people mixing uh, in West Orange and interacting who, where, you know, if you go to a lot of places, you might not see that interaction. And it's very casual and mm. something that now I'm appreciating more because it, it never really occurred to me like how diverse it actually was because it just wasn't it really wasn't an issue or something that really came up at the time. Uh, but I think a lot of that, you know, I, so I went from, from living in, in West Orange, going to school in West Orange uh, before college to, you know, around junior or senior year of high school, deciding I really wanted to go to school in DC. And so I like actually targeted GW, George Washington University. And I was like, okay, I want to go there. That's my top choice. And I went there for like a campus tour and I absolutely loved it. Um, I met one of my high school friends, like his, his dad. Um, and I loved everything I heard about GW. I had like the little college pamphlets and I loved everything that I saw about GW. And I, and I, you know, went and stayed overnight with someone on Halloween weekend and I loved GW and it, it, I stayed in Thurston Hall and it was like, you know, this whole thing was like, I want to be a GW. I know this is what I want to do. Um, I don't know exactly what I want to do with my time there, but I right. felt like GW offered me um, and DC offered me a lot of the, again, diversity and opportunities. So if I wanted to study psychology, I could do that. If I really felt like that's something that I was passionate about. Mm. If I wanted to do journalism, I could do that if I was passionate about it. Um, I ended up, you know, pretty much last minute. Using business and then, uh, marketing within that. And, uh, yeah, so I, I went to DC, and I feel like the rest is is history because I still live in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. There's a there's a lot of like twists and turns within my my GW story and my story since then that uh, <laughs> I could dive into. I, I don't really know where the best place to start is. There, there are a lot of details. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, hmm. maybe one approach we could take is like. How do you think it's changed between like when you were first, when you first went to GW your freshman year to when you came out like in, in yourself yeah. and then what you observed there as well? Um, That's really interesting. After. So when I first got to GW, um, I think I was, I just felt like a fish out of water. Um, like for me, I didn't really, 
like I didn't feel comfortable in the college environment. I knew that this would be something new for me. I'd never like really lived away from home in any sense or away from family in any sense. So it's not like I, I knew that I didn't want to stay in my comfort zone, but I totally also recognized that I was diving way out of my comfort zone and going to GW. And I think in my head, I had this idea of not a clear idea, but this idea of what I could do and what I could accomplish. Like before college, I hadn't really had too many leadership roles Mm -hmm. or I I wasn't like an outgoing or popular person in any sense or anything like that. Um, Not that that's anything I ever really strived for, but I really wanted to be able to just like grab onto things that I was passionate about. Um, and so then going into GW, you know, there was that weird adjustment phase where like you have all of your classes, but you're also trying to establish your social life and you you make friends and also do student organizations. But then also like every day you have to figure out what to eat. So like for me on my freshman year, I'm like eating Wendy's and like pizza (laughs) and 7-Eleven every day. Um, like it's really a mess at the time now that I think back at it, uh, you know, think back to that, but, um, you know, it's, I feel like over time I, and this is kind of going back to the love over time, I really found that there were a lot of people who, especially my freshman and sophomore years, um, when I was just still getting my footing, who were there for me, who mm-hmm. helped me like figure things out and get comfortable. So, um, or maybe get more uncomfortable in, in some cases, if you know what I mean, but you know, become comfortable at the end of the day. So like, for instance, my very first, first person I met was my, um, house proctor or my RA on my floor, Courtney. And she's still one of my best friends because we, you know, we ended up bonding so much Mm. all my freshman year and she ended up introducing me to a lot of the leadership roles and opportunities um, that I was interested in and I would see her going out for things because I think she was a junior at the time and you know I I would express some interest in doing these things or even if I wouldn't she would tell me like hey Matt have you ever thought of applying to this have you ever thought Mm. of getting involved in, in this organization or that and that led me to, again, getting out of my comfort zone, just kind of showing up and getting involved. And, you know, while Courtney, I think, you know, set a lot of those seeds, there were also a lot of other people who led me in different directions in my time at GW. So um, by the end of my freshman year, I was involved in Students Against Sexual Assault, which that end of my freshman year was, was, um, spring 2011 the the organization started about a year before at the time still around now and i think probably bigger than ever before i would assume but um yeah it's like my my roommate freshman year was involved in students against sexual assault Mm -hmm. and because his one of his sister's friends had been sexually assaulted um and i got involved and and now like you know, flash forward to the end of my GW career, I was like the president of that organization and actually like leading a lot of the efforts on campus for this issue that, I mean, before I came to college, I had no clue what sexual assault was. 
I mean, even when I was still at college my freshman year, I didn't understand the definition of sexual assault or the difference between like sexual assault and rape and like all of this other stuff that I know now. Um, and so there was that. There were a lot of other like leadership things and uh, getting involved on campus. But really, that was the one that that stuck with me and resonated with me. And I think the way that that ties in with my career now is that I realized my freshman year, um, thanks to Students Against Sexual Assault, that people could see all these facts and statistics mm. posted all over campus. Like about two or three weeks into my freshman year, and I think they still do this every year pretty much, um, is that they have a statistics campaign where yeah. they put up a statistic about how common sexual assault is or an aspect of it. Um, by my senior year, I, I ended up, you know, being part of putting on a few of these. And uh, I remember the very first one going up and the statistic was all over campus. Um, and like, very few people I knew would actually talk about it mm. or engage. It. There was a point, of course, where just to kind of give like you and anyone who's listening an idea of how the campaign would work. Right. Uh, let's say the statistic is like. Um, 90%, 90% of, um, I think that's the statistic off the top of my head, but 90% of people who are sexually assaulted on a college campus know the perpetrator, right? right? So, um, we would put up 90% all over campus, just like just 90% without the context. Mm -hmm. And so when people are on campus, they see this 90% and they're like, what is that? What does 90% mean? Right. Especially freshmen who haven't been on campus look around and they're like, 90%, what's that? Um, and then after about a week is when we would do the big reveal and replace those 90% posters with, you know, the, the full statistic to give context. And so you have this build and this anticipation and interest in and this question of what this means. And then there's the reveal. So people understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my freshman year, I remember that. And I remember the anticipation and the questions that people would ask. But I also remember that once it was revealed, like for me, I was in shock by the statistic that they used at the time. And I'm like, I'm thinking that's high. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, on campuses now, I think the statistics are what still one in five women and one in 16 men are, are sexually assaulted. And like, that's insane to me. Right. That's a lot of people. Um, but people didn't care or react or engage in the way that they do now. Um, and mm -hmm. so that, you know, I kind of was like outraged, like how, like how could we not do something about this thing? That's clearly an epidemic. Right. Uh, so I think in a lot of ways that defined my that defined my uh, my college experience in part, but that definitely helped define my passion for using like marketing, communications, um, and storytelling yeah. to actually make an impact and address important causes. Hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that's like the gist of my my GW experience. I think with a lot of twists and turns in the middle. Right. No, the storytelling aspect, that's so critical because I'm remembering back to the job I had before I went to start my master's here in Amsterdam where um, one thing I read about with the the kind of science literature on what makes effective charitable causes and things is they said um, statistics and numbers, it just kind of 
flies by people's heads. It doesn't really stick that well. But if you tell a compelling story, there's a thing called the identifiable victim effect. So if you focus on, say, just one person or one child versus many, that can have a more powerful effect. Now with things, though, like uh, virtual reality, that, that that creates a whole new window of opportunities and things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, yeah. I'll just say I'll just say, like, commenting on that, one thing that I think is so interesting is that um, because, like, in the past couple of years, I've done some work with virtual reality. Like, I haven't produced any virtual reality films myself, but, I've, you know, in my work at Second Muse, um, working with an amazing person, uh, but her, her name's Devar Ardalan, and she came from 22 years at NPR, so more audio storytelling, and she was really interested in how you could use virtual reality and artificial intelligence. So now, you know, she's left Second Muse, has her own company called iVow that's focused on artificial intelligence. iVow stands for Intelligent Voices of Wisdom. So you can really get a sense of like how deep Devar is, and I've really loved her like mentorship over the years, but like one thing is like the virtual reality and artificial intelligence is key, but... At the same time, I was just at this climate reality project training, mm-hmm. and there were 2,200 people who were there. It was by no means exclusive. It was their largest training yet. And like there are 2,200 passionate people in this room from all over the world. I think they might have said like 40 countries in this room. And um, also, I could tell you that there are 82 climate reality projects chapters in the u.s or something again off the top of my head so i like i i was just amazed that there was nothing to capture and tell the stories of the people who were there Mm. in the room like what if i don't know and i'm going to suggest this at some point but like they should set up like a booth where people could just go and like record short five minute videos to talk about why they're there because Mm. that's what people relate to. Everyone knows that we agree that we said that the training, but we weren't actually doing it. So, I mean, rather than the virtual reality and all that, I want people to at least embrace like the basics of using video, which is why like 180 degrees of impact is video or using audio or something that captures like the essence of what's happening beyond beyond just photos and like live streams of important quote unquote important people on stage, you know? Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Hearing someone's voice or seeing someone's being, uh, and just reading text on a page or an image. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, I know it must engage other parts of the brain and that's such a huge difference. Um, no, yeah, I, yeah, I really love that. And so, when when did kind of the storytelling aspect in your life, when did that manifest? Was that soon after you graduated from GW? Did you have that kind of idea of storytelling while you were there? Like, how did that come to be? So I think the marketing stuff for me started when I was in probably like middle school and high school. I started to see the importance of it. And it was because my, my dad who had a home health care business, a local home health care franchise in, um, in our community, in our, in West Orange and in our County, um, Essex County. And it's called right at home of Essex County. And like, basically his business was getting home health aids to to seniors who would of course, like 
their families would pay for the service. And the reason my dad did it and opened that business in 2004 was because the year before, um, my grandmother, his mother, Sophia Scott, uh, passed away due to Alzheimer's. And so before that, my dad was working in like tech companies like AT&T and he worked at IBM at one point before that. And, you know, I think he had this massive shift because, you know, when his mother passed away, he was just really like, he's like, wow, I need to use my skills differently. I remember like distinctly, um, having that conversation with my dad where I was like, that's weird. Like you should do a tech company, like open a tech company. Don't start a home healthcare business. This was me when I was maybe like, you know, 11 or something like, you know, just not, you know, kind of not loving change at that point. (laughs) Um, despite all the other changes going on in life for everyone around that age. And so, um, you know, my dad opened his business and, you know, he went from working at like these different tech companies and having these like probably horrible hours where, mm-hmm. you know, he would go get, get to work early, be there late, um, to then working in our town. And he had so much flexibility and especially over the summers or nights after school, I would like, you know, ride around with him as he would like take some of the caregivers to work because a lot of them didn't have cars. And I would work there, um, like all summer, every summer, pretty much until college, um, just kind of getting to know the business and, and like doing all sorts of things like leading caregiver orientations and all that. But the interesting thing is, again, this is a national company right at home, uh, based in Nebraska. Um, but like each owner, of a franchise has their own story. And my dad's story, as I mentioned, was, um, like my grandmother, his mother having this excellent care from this caregiver named Patty, who was incredibly attentive. And so I think that like communicating, um, communicating his perspective mattered so much more to people. It wasn't just about the services. He came to realize that his personal narrative was actually what got people to really buy in the most. And so Mm -hmm. when I was doing these orientations, when I was like 14 and 15 years old for all these caregivers, I would always tell them about like why my dad started the business and it really touched their hearts. And that's when I started to understand like, wow, this marketing and story stuff is so important because that's actually what people care about. And Mm. when you get people to care, that's how you kind of get them to buy in and, um, get on board and take action one way, whether it's working with you or like paying for your service or, you know, doing something on their own. So I think that's where the seeds were planted. The business stuff was really from seeing my dad run his business, but Mm -hmm. the marketing stuff was just from understanding how like crucial that story can be mm. yeah no that's that's really fascinating um yeah. and that care piece yeah so i can see now with your website right it's called letscare.com and i've seen like how that message has really resonated with you and the caring thing um just looking yeah kind of progressing forward past college um so you you had this experience you had this beginning um what 
what did you or back then i guess when you were first coming out gw what what did you envision to do with human storytelling or what were your initial plans and how did that you know compare to what you ended up doing i had no clue okay. uh, <laughs> no i i kind of had a feeling that i wanted to do stuff that was like somehow good for the world because i mean other than just doing something that's positive and it, it feels good to benefit people in the yeah. world in some way um like it felt good for me to do it's altruism really and it's like it, you know it's that feeling that you get um when you're when you're benefiting other people and so i had that and i experienced that before and so i knew it felt good so i wanted to do something like that but i didn't know what careers actually existed to do that yeah um to be honest, I didn't know where I wanted to work um, or what I wanted to do with my career exactly. And things sort of just fell into place. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, I mentioned being involved in Students Against Sexual Assault. And, you know, the person who founded that was a woman by the name of Emily Rosowski, who's one year older than me, graduated in 2013 at GW. And, like, Emily studied economics and she ended up going. after college after gw working for an organization called social driver and so at social driver they focused on their their digital agency focused on a lot of like social campaigns but a lot of colleagues like education and healthcare and stuff like that and so emily was there about a year and then she texted me around march of uh senior year my senior year and she said, um, hey, like, we're looking for someone to start um, in, like, after graduation. Do you know anyone who's interested? And I texted her back and I said, me. And so <laughs> I do the interview process. And, like, thankfully, that was actually the only interview I did. Uh, and I was hired. And then I ended up being there about two years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was through someone who I happened to meet, like, my freshman year at GW. And again, things just kind of worked out because she knew I was in the business and marketing, um, and well, like studies and, and all that. And she thought of me as someone who could be good to work with her as part of her team. And I worked with her for a while at social driver as, um, you know, as a teammate. And so that was really incredible. But the other piece of it is that the same exact day, like you really can't make this up. There's so much, like serendipity in life, which is, is another thing I'm grateful for. Um, that same day, it was a Wednesday. I think it was like Wednesday, May, it was like May 7th or May 8th, 2014. And that was the day that changed my life in so many ways because I, through, because of Students Against Sexual Assault, was being interviewed on NPR on a show that's no longer on uh, called Tell Me More, which was hosted by Michelle Martin. And they canceled it um, later that year after like a long, successful run. But, um, you know, I, I go into to NPR studios in D.C. Uh, because they have a segment that's kind of like a panel on campus sexual assault. And so here I am in the studio that morning and I'm talking with like Michelle Martin and these other panelists about campus sexual assault. Meanwhile, in the back of my head, I know that at noon that day, I have to get across town for a job interview at Social Driver. So 
I'm in this, like in the studio, you know, we have our conversation. It's somewhere on the internet if anyone wants to listen, whatever. But, um, yeah, we were there and I end up walking out of the studio. Um, and I met someone by the name of Devar Ardalan and, and Devar, as I mentioned, ends up being my boss and manager at second muse about two years later because she hired me. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and there's so many other details of like how we bonded over time um, between when we first met at NPR and when she ha- when she left NPR and then hired me at the second muse. But yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like you it's like you really can't make up the like serendipity. And right. that's why even now I don't know where I'll where I'll be in sure. five years. Yeah. It'll probably just be like a series of circumstances that sort of leads me to wherever I'll be next, whether it's working for, for someone or, or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. So that's, that's like the, the long and short of it. I, I, there was nothing intentional about it at all. You know, I had no clue what I wanted to, what I was trying to get done, but, um, I, I, I did end up really loving, I I mentioned loving GW. I really ended up loving my time at social driver. I love working at second muse and, and, like love it to the point that I also kind of founded this project 180 degrees of impact that is really similar to second, my work at second using just takes it that much further. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's kind of my story of how I ended up where I am. And it's crazy. Like think I'm just thinking about it myself. It's really crazy. Yeah. You really, a life will work out (laughs) and it's, it's, that's the fun part about it. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's so true. Um, I, I do the same thing with my life. Like if, if, if one specific day didn't happen, one specific choice, if I didn't meet this person at this place at this precise time, you know, my life would be completely different. And that happens all the time. And it, it yeah, it totally, it totally spooks me. I don't know, just like who I meet too. It's, you know, of course it's the same way. Um, like, uh, I was just, for some reason, I was thinking one of my favorite movies is called Mr. Nobody, and they do a good job of exploring that uh, about, like, life choices. I don't know if you've ever heard of that movie, but he's just seeing different timelines of his life. He can see the future and the past and the present all at once. It's a bit of a mind fuck, but yeah. <laughs> there's just the thing where he's, uh, there's, like, a train coming, and his dad, his mom is on the train, his dad is next to him, and he has to choose which parent he wants to be with, so he starts running, and then he chooses neither of them, and it creates this whole another timeline like it's it's a really mind-blowing what? film like highly recommend checking it out but <laughs> in any case yeah that just like flashed into my mind that thing it's just like choices are everything you know you, you never know where, where you'll end up um yeah, yeah it's just insane um i definitely i definitely want to know more about um when you started 180 degrees of impact uh how you yeah. chose, you know, how do you choose your guests for that? I really love all those interviews you yeah. on there. Um, I really think it's something special. So I'd love to have an inside Thank look you. at that a bit. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's funny. It's like, as you said that, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I also think it's something special now because it's like, and I feel like it, it might be like, a, it might sound like a cocky thing to say that, but it's really not. It's like, I'm really in awe of it because like, to give context over the years, a lot of times I've had 
different projects that I've wanted to start, like actually around probably around the same time of year. I, I came up with the idea of 100 degrees of impact, like later in the year in November um, and December is when I started doing it. But mm-hmm. like around that same time of year that um, in 2015 and in 2014, I had similar things that flashed into my mind and just never really ended up like bringing these projects to life um, for one reason or another. I just wasn't passionate enough about them, I think. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm really like, this is really special to me um, because, well, one, just to talk about where it started. So I don't know what I was thinking, but so in, in, um, <laughs> I know what I was thinking when I started 180 degrees of impact and I'll get back to that. But like <laughs> when I, um, when I like, I, I went to Kenya. Okay. That's like the way to put it. <laughs> um, so I, I did my write in vote cause this was November, 2016, did my write in vote for the election, sure. you know, made sure I voted. It's super important. Register to vote. Yeah. It's, it's like democratic process and all that. Um, so I voted and then I booked a trip to Kenya to go to like visit my, my best friend, Ryan, who, yeah. who was living there at the time. Cause I figured who do I know in Kenya and when else would I get to have this experience? And that was my first time in Africa. And it was like this awesome experience. And I, you know, I, I mean, I really couldn't even could barely afford it at the time. Mm. But I did it and I'm so glad I did because I got to see something that was like beyond my uh, scope of the world at the time. And, you know, since I've gone back and I visited Ethiopia um, again when Ryan was was living there and, um, you know, it's like the trip was impactful in itself. But the thing is, the day I left was actually election day. The day I left Mm. Kenya was election day. I had a flight out of Nairobi um, and then into Frankfurt, Germany, where I had the layover and then back to D.C. And um, when we were taking off, I was with Ryan and we were watching the news and there was all, you know, everything about the election. I think people were still like finishing voting at that time or, or, you know, of course, the tally was still going on. And so I get on the plane and I'm thinking a lot about the election because Ryan specifically was like telling me how worried and nervous he was about the result of the election, what that would mean. And even like just the fact that, you know, you really don't know. And I think we see this a lot with our president, our current president. But, um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Like he wasn't sure if he would be able to even like get back into the U.S. Mm -hmm. like based on some of the things that the who ended up being our president was saying. And so like I'm on this flight and you know, like sometimes when you're on a flight, you have certain things downloaded on your phone. So like, you know, listen to or occupy your time. Um, and this was an overnight flight. So rather than like reading, I put on a podcast and it was this show called reply all, which, um, is this really great, uh, podcast hosted by two guys, Alex Goldman and PJ vote. But, um, the episode I downloaded was maybe 20 minutes and it was about the white house office of presidential correspondence and about like 
what they do and that whole process of people submitting either written letters or calling in the White House comment line. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me until I was sitting on that plane, but like I volunteered there when I was a sophomore in at GW because it, uh, it's in, in an undisclosed location, but like it's near GW and near the White House, obviously. Um, so like I'm really listening to this because it hit me and I was thinking to myself, like, why in the world, like, have I never written in a letter to the White House? Like Barack Obama was still president at the time. And I'm thinking, why did I never write a letter Hmm. to President Obama and submit that? So I pull out my computer and I'm on the plane and I type this letter and I'm just thinking a lot about the election. And I actually published this as like the very first thing I post on 108 Degrees of Impact on on Let's Not Care. But um, I, I said, you know, there's a quote from you that says that the most, quote, the most important office in a democracy is the office of president, or, sorry, wow, that's not true. That's <laughs> uh, No, the most important Thank office you. in a democracy is the office of citizen. <laughs> that's a big difference. Yeah. But uh, I was really thinking about that, and he wrote that, and I wrote in this letter, like, regardless of what happens, um, you know, in this election, whether it's like Hillary Clinton winning or or Donald Trump winning, like I think I commit to using my role as citizen Mm -hmm. to make our role startups making the world a better place. And uh, I just kind of felt like it's important to do that regardless of who is in office and whether it's on the state or local or like national level or whatever and so um that thought was going through my head get off the plane i'm in frankfurt sitting there headphones in as they're talking about the election i really didn't want to hear it uh, because it sounded like pretty bleak news and then they announced trump winning and Mm. um basically on my flight from germany to the u.s i was just thinking about this idea of really embracing and showcasing the people who are making a positive difference rather than dwelling on like all of the negativity that I was seeing everywhere, because that's depressing. Um, and we still see a lot of like the depressing stuff. I think, uh, I mean, at this point there's a lot of like, it's sad, but there's a lot of like humor in it because it's just like, so we live in such a ridiculous world at this point. And a lot, thankfully a lot of the things that, um, like, president trump aims to do just kind of fall flat because he doesn't you know know the rules on on things uh but uh you know whatever and not to get into that uh but anyway um i you know i kind of felt like i wanted to create a project and they came up with the name 108 degrees of impact because it's this idea of people being angry, you know, regardless of the, the sides of the, the spectrum that they're on politically. There are a lot of people who are angry or mm-hmm. ignorant or just speaking out and tweeting. And I'm thinking, what does that actually do in the world? I don't right. care what your politics is. Like, I want you to actually aim to make a better world. Um, and so that's what I decided to showcase. And so mm-hmm. I started 108 Degrees of Impact Again, I think I, like about a week later, I bought the domain name Let's Dot Care. I, I started writing blog posts and launched it on January first, twenty seventeen, and then I did like twenty written blog posts or so. Um, 
about different people. The very first was Barack Obama. Like Oprah was one of the people mm-hmm. I included in there. Like there are a lot of really like interesting and like, you know, uh, inspiring, but also people that's really tough to reach in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like in March of 20, like March 8th, 2017, my dad passed away. Like he was sick for about a month before or so. And it turns out he had a rare form of leukemia, but like, but it was all so sudden, like one of the healthiest people going Mm -hmm. to the gym, like living a very active life, running his business, like got very sick suddenly and died. And for me, I went from like writing these posts about people to then really like realizing the complexity of, and the, the stress of like writing about people. Because if I wanted to write about you, Thomas, like, I mean, I I feel like I could see myself doing it based on the fact that we've like had these different conversations. It would be from my perspective. And, but like, there are so many people where it's like, I don't know enough about them and I really want to do them justice in like whatever I share about them. Um, also like one thing I've realized is that like grief and mourning is like very, uh, it's like an isolating time in your life and isolating feeling. So I didn't realize this when I started doing the interviews for 108 degrees of impact in about July, um, 2017. But I also feel like that was a way to just connect with people and like literally to hear from people and have these, um, amazing inspirational, motivational, like conversations where like I'm learning about, their lives and how they're making the world a better place. And so, yeah, again, while there's all this stuff out there and negativity out there in the world, like I could still sit down with someone like you and talk with you about how you're making the world a better place. And that gives me a positive feeling. And then the benefit of recording is that I'm also able to share that and rewatch it and we listen to it now with the the podcast on like iTunes and Stitcher. And so it's like, all this cool stuff um, that came out of that, but that's really the origin of it. And I really think it's, I think I said it's bigger than me because I haven't stuck with something like this much. Um, You know, so far I'm about a third of the way through interviewing people. I've had about 30 hours of conversation so far. And my goal, um, I guess just because I, I, you know, had this idea of 180 degrees was to interview 180 people. And so, yeah, my goal is to interview 180 people. And that includes the people who I wrote about in the beginning. So um, Barack Obama is on my list of people that I'd love to interview one day. And I really feel like I can't stop until I like, (laughs) you gotta get that interview. And, but the crazy thing is I actually believe that I could get, you know, I could do that. It's building. I've talked with like some amazing people, not just in terms of like position and job title and everything. Cause we talk way too much about that, but like people with some truly amazing hearts and yeah. efforts and, um, resolve and resilience and will. And, um, yeah, it's like, I, I love, I don't know. I, like I, I mentioned like grief as something that I still experience in, in in so many different ways and, um, that I'm still so engaged with. And I, I I think it's so important to mention it because when we were like in 100 degrees of impact and it's the sort of thing that's like so stigmatized that I just 
like love to talk around. Um, and so, yeah. And so I mentioned it on my conversations and, um, again, it's, I don't know, it's so hard to describe, but it's, it's bigger than me at this point. And, um, I think that's cool. That's kind of some, it's like, I'm someone I interviewed, um, her name's Dato Letsomo and she does work in Botswana. I actually met her at Harvard at their social enterprise conference at the start of this year. And I decided to interview her and she responded to my email, which is a big thing because I've emailed so many people to, to connect with them. But, you know, I ask people at the end of each and every interview I do, like, if your life were a book or documentary, what would the title be and why? And I think she had such a great title, which was I responded to the call. And like, that's how I feel. I just kind of respond to the call. It's like, just kind of going with the, the flow of what life is putting in front of me. I think yeah. that's a major theme for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. That whole story. Um, are there any specific interviews at 180 degrees of impact that really stand out or that change things either with what you're seeing with the guest or in yourself and how you'd interview them? Like, yeah, what were some inflection points? Uh, you know, the, yeah. So some of those key points, um, you know, it, it's, it's, that's such a funny question because like uh, all my conversations are really distinct mm-hmm. from one another. And, um, like some are obviously better than others because I think when you have someone who really just leans into the conversation to like steal, borrow from, uh, Sheryl Sandberg and, uh, who's also like big on, uh, option B and like the grief community. I love Sheryl Sandberg, uh, you know, to lean in, like there are a lot of people who really lean into the conversation I would say, and it gets really like raw, real and inspiring. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like, I love when people are, have been vulnerable, vulnerable with me and really just honest. And so some that come to mind, cause there are really a lot. Um, I ended up interviewing my friend, Eric Dowds, who has an organization called die badass. And I mentioned Eric in like different interviews and stuff all the time because like, I mean, he just texted me again yesterday and we'll probably talk today or tomorrow at some point again, like we're in touch a lot and he has type one diabetes and, he was diagnosed at the age of 16. We were in high school together and we weren't really friends at the time. We just became friends really actually like probably the, around the exact same time that I started 180 degrees of impact. But, um, Eric, I was on a call with him and, um, you know, I, I was on zoom and I said to him, Hey, like I want to interview you for 180 degrees of impact once sometime. He said, sure, let's do it now. So like, kind of like with you actually, like didn't send him any prompts or anything. Like I just kind of, you know, went through it and talked with him and it was a very honest conversation and, and real and like not prepared or scripted in any way. And I love that, like that there are people who are willing to be that, that real, um, you know, I, I, then uh, there's so many great people and I just want, I'm going to shout them all out. Like there's a woman named Regina Northhouse who I, who I met, um, thanks to Twitter basically. And that's actually how I've met a lot of people. Cause I know I mentioned Eric, I knew him in high school. Um, but we hadn't really connected a lot until 100 degrees of impact. And then, um, you know, Regina is someone who I saw on Twitter one day when I happened to be scrolling through and I messaged her and I said, 
hey, like it would be cool to interview you because I saw she was the executive director of this organization called the Food Recovery Network. And she had some fire tweets going out like all this during this Twitter chat. She was seemed awesome. And so we recorded our interview. And after that, um, Regina said, let me introduce you to like five different people who you should interview. So she introduced me to like her friend Vivian Luke, who, who, um, is the executive director of an organization called Work, which formerly was called Team Tasi. Um, she introduced me to Ian Rosenberger, who is like the co-founder um, of of that organization that Vivian's in Work, but also um, he's the founder, sorry, of Work, and also of another organization called Thread International, doing work in Haiti. Um, and he was also like a survivor contestant and I'm a big survivor fan. So I didn't tell him that, but I was totally <laughs> like, yeah, let me talk to this guy. And I actually snuck in to mention of survivor at the end, but he was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Denver in, uh, October, 2017 at one point just for fun. And I, e- again, emailed a bunch of people, set conversations and, the one who I was able to set one up with who made time for me was this, this guy named Jose Silva, who was part of the, who is part of the Denver Latino commission. And he invited me into his office for like my first in-person 180 degrees of impact interview. And we recorded there and he was telling me all about his life story and like working with like underprivileged communities and being from one and, you know, facing a lot of resentment in his life and getting past that and like turning the page as he put it. Um, you know, so many memorable ones. My, I talked with my sister after that, my sister, Lindsay Scott, who like went to college, graduated, um, in the mid two thousands. And then, uh, she like, she graduated with a degree in theater and computer science became a model, like ended up being like the first black Calvin Klein exclusive yeah, was a Victoria's sure. secret model yeah. in their fashion show in 2009 <laughs> on all these different news stories because she decided like she wants to still do app development and people were like, could you be smart and have a brain and, or could you be smart and be beautiful? You know, yeah, could yeah. you be smart and have a brain if you're a model? I love, I love uh, seeing how like some of the interviewers, it's like their brain would short circuit, you know, like, like, like it's something that's like impossible, like something, crap, you know, and so I, I had like a 45 minute conversation with my sister where yeah. I actually learned a lot more about her. Um, so that's like some of the people and that's just like in, in 2017, 2018 was like a ton of other people who I'm, I'm so thankful for. And I, I don't even know if I'll like, if I could start to go into the specifics of them because a lot of other people have been supportive and vulnerable and awesome to, to me. But, um, you know, I was, I think I got, I started to get my confidence in terms of 180 degrees of impact. And I ended up at the, as I mentioned at the Harvard social enterprise conference, doing some interviews, um, with a couple people. Mm -hmm. And that was cool to be there doing that in person. Um, I went to Ethiopia as mentioned, and then I did, um, you know, an interview in person at the U S embassy with someone who worked at USAID, the USAID program in Ethiopia, um, and I happened to do a presentation after that about like my work at second muse and 180 degrees of impact and storytelling, which was awesome. And then, um, April, I dedicated the month to like sexual assault awareness. So mm-hmm. I interviewed a number of people who are really awesome, including this one person, Delaney Henderson, who is like this awesome 
um, like around our age, sexual assault advocate. She was in the Netflix um, original film, Audrey and Daisy. And so, you know, the list goes on and on. And um, I don't know. I'm just really thankful to people, again, have like given me that love and have taken time to have genuine conversations with me about like life and about why they do what they do. And, you know, it's, it's cool. It's cool to like have an excuse to meet and have these conversations and document them with cool people. For me, it's not about the views. I really don't care about the views. I like, I want number one, I, I have that conversation. And I feel like I achieved my goal. Hmm. Um, and then I want anyone who's really interested to, to tune in. Right. Yes, I know a lot of people do, but yeah, that's kind of my, the story of it, the long story. You're the first person to get like the yes. long story, but I mean, genuinely, I'm actually passionate about like the fact that I am excited about the fact that I get to talk with like really awesome people. Like I mentioned like the chat I had with you, but like the list goes on and on and, um, I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely, that's absolutely incredible. Um, Besides Obama and Oprah and these other, you know, incredible people you had in the beginning who you'd love to interview one day, who are some of your other dream guests if you could interview anybody? Um, I don't even think of them as, like, dream guests, to be honest. (laughs) Who are your next guests? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's – that's a great question. And I I don't really know who the next guests will be. I will say – I actually use this – I don't know why I'm getting so specific. I could just say a spreadsheet, but I'm using this uh, website called Airtable to like, (laughs) it's not like I'm not, this is not an ad. I swear. I use Airtable to like, as a kind of a spreadsheet, smart spreadsheet thing to like document the people I've interviewed. I added like the time codes for the different interviews. So I know how many hours I've had. And so that was cool. But I also added people who I'd love to talk with. Um, and just to kind of name some off the top of my head, uh, wow, this is a high pressure shouting them out. Uh, so of course there's like Barack Obama, there's Oprah. Um, and actually just to stop there for a second, the crazy thing about that is like living in DC, you have access to so many people who actually have access to these people. So it's yeah. not like six degrees of separation. Like, yeah. I mean, like yeah. there are actually people who like, kind of have a close line or link to some of these people. But yeah, that's uh, true. like Joe Biden is one I'd also love to talk with more on the sexual assault awareness stuff mm-hmm. um, because he's really an inspiration in terms of that. Um, you know, there's a, there's a famous um, writer, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who, um, you know, she's really, I think most people know of her Ted talk. We should all be feminists, mm-hmm. but um you know, she's a huge inspiration. I'd love to talk with her. Um, you know, there are, and then there are also some people who I just think are, seem really cool. Like there's this one podcast I listen to called the brain candy podcast. And it's really like a mix of like some brain science and smart stuff, mm-hmm. but also it's like these two women, uh, Sarah Rice and Susie Meister who are just like, like they were on MTV on like real world and road rules. I'm like, okay. <laughs> seem like they'd be really fun, but like Susie is a religious scholar and like they're both massive feminists, but Susie is a religious scholar and I think it'd be cool to talk to her about that. Um, 
And then like Sarah is a sexual assault advocate. And I only actually ended up listening to the podcast after like meeting, um, someone who was the, the founder of this organization called PAVE, Promoting Awareness Victim Empowerment, where I still do some of my sexual assault um, work. And so, yeah, there are a lot of people on my list, but those are just some off the top of my head. And, I mean, the great news is I still have, like, about 120 people to interview, so... I have a lot of options, <laughs> a lot of opportunities and options. And like, there'll be a lot of people who I, who come up along the way who I like see pop up on social media or who I hear of who I decide to interview. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I could go on and on about potential people for a, for a long time. Uh, but actually one thing I will say is that like the heart, one of the hardest parts for me is just that you know, obviously you reach out and I'm sure you've, I know you've experienced this too, that you reach out a lot more than you like actually talk to people. So Mm -hmm. like, for instance, I like, I can't even tell you how many times I've emailed different people and there's like no response or they're too busy. Um, and all I want is like an hour of their time or 30 minutes of their time. And I, you know, but sometimes people don't have that to spare. And, um, like there's this one person who's big deal around the, around the 2016 election. And I met him before called, uh, his name is Van Jones and he's like on CNN and I yeah. think he has a show. He definitely has a show now and a book out there and everything. Um, he's done a lot of climate activism. And so, you know, I've been in touch again and again with his like assistant who said, you know, now is not a good time for him. He has a show. So like, I imagine he has to wake up at like three in the morning every day and yeah. probably has like two hours of sleep each night or something. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll keep trying. I, I, yeah. I realize that the thing I'm sticking with, the reason I'm sticking with it, um, is because I love to do it. So, you know, who knows, maybe after this call, I'll send another email follow up to like his assistant and ask her if she thinks he'll have an hour. Maybe my persistence will pay off. Yeah. Uh, I hope it will because I'm not stopping until I talk <laughs> uh, Barack. Yes, Obama. What a, let cool. me just say, what a man. Yeah, I know. Oh, just every interview I've seen with him. And also, I love, I think, yeah. I, what was it? Maybe it was two years ago i saw that he had a linkedin profile and it wasn't like just someone who like and it was like very detailed too and (laughs) i had clicked add on or whatever i didn't get a response but i took a picture of his work experience i just found that in and of itself so inspirational where if you juxtapose that with other presidents where it's like he was just such an academic he was so brilliant at harvard and he was magna cum laude and he was a lecturer professor for like 10 years and then he did some you know great work in community service and and as a politician but it was like just pure sentence i mean i can't think of a faster trajectory path to that and you know like the one thing I'll say about that, though, that's so funny is that you you mentioned that. And I think it's I think it's so important just to state that, like, while I think that's so cool and I think oftentimes we categorize people by like their job titles and positions yeah. and, and all that. Um, so even in a conversation I was having recently with this like awesome public speaker um, and, you know, this guy named Taylor Conroy, like he's had like numerous startups that like have done impact a social impact kind of work, but then they kind of 
you know, for one reason or another, he shut them down or like they failed in one way or another. And he's really, um, yeah. So in, in talking with him, there are a couple things that I want to mention. One is like, I remember at early on in the call, I mentioned the fact that I knew like he's had so many careers. I called him like the most interesting man in the world because mm-hmm. he had a career as a firefighter. He was a real estate person. He like helped build multiple schools um, overseas, in particular in Africa and in different, in different countries. And, uh, and, you know, I'm talking with him and he's saying like, you know what, like, you know, like while all these titles are important, that's not who I am. You know, I'm someone who's like, that's some of my experiences. And so, um, Taylor is awesome, but he just reminded me that like, sometimes we do focus a lot on like titles, like they're the like manager or CEO or founder or whatever. And it's like, you know, a lot of people are doing awesome stuff and they're not the founder or CEO and they're, like, and I think when we open up our minds beyond that, we also like just considering the lack of diversity oftentimes among like, like for instance, the fortune 500 CEOs yeah. to give that example, like we realize there are a lot of other people from diverse backgrounds that like have a ton of things to contribute. Like, to be honest, one of my problems with the climate reality training is like, that I went, that I just went to this week. Um, Al Gore was there and of course he is a white man and like that, it is what it is. He found the project. And I think he, like mostly white guys and like, you know, founders and like rich people. And it's like, how am I supposed to relate to these people who have all these resources in the world? Mm. And like, you know, I, I couldn't, um, the panel that I related most to was like, all these people that were from, they were doing work in, in like the LA area and in the community and otherwise, and like coming from all these different backgrounds and they got multiple standing ovations. And I don't think that's an accident. You know, we do, we do overlook sometimes the people who have the most to contribute and the best way of communicating. Like I was like, not crying, but like my eyes were just welling up with tears. Like as I was listening to this, cause I'm thinking like, this is what I needed to hear. And you know, we just need to keep our ears and, and eyes open. And so sometimes I do interview people who I'm like, I'm not exactly sure exact, like what I'll get from them or what I'll hear from them. But I think it's important to be open to, you know, not just talking to like the head of, head of a company, but to talk with people who have those diverse experiences. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, I was just thinking, yeah, there's like two ways where you're losing out on communication. If you're focusing too much on people or the head or CEO or whatever, you, yeah. feel, you, you lose sight of everyone else. But also if you put someone on a pedestal and you just see them yeah. as their credentials, you make it that much harder to communicate with them. Like I forget yeah. who said it, but there's a quote I liked. It's like, if you put someone on a pedestal, you're forcing them to look down on you. And like, I really like that, you know, um, and obviously you're not going to have any kind of constructive conversation or insight, um, with that right. kind of dynamic. Um, yeah. so I thought that was, you know, that's really interesting. And 
you know, I, I just think it'd be so incredible also to interview Obama now that he's not in the White House, you know, and he yeah. just had this life since then that has been, of course, yeah. out of the spotlight and it'd be great to see what he's doing. You know, I mean, I know on paper some things he's doing, but like really what, how his day-to- day life has changed, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I don't even really want to know about that. It's like, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I mean, it's out there, right? And yeah. I like to, uh, one thing I like take pride in is that I really like to like, at least become familiar with what the person's doing to to an extent or to, to a deep extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm not asking them questions that they've been asked. Like, yeah. But also more importantly, I don't really care that much about the what as much as like the why. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there are a lot of questions he's kind of been asked, but there are actually kind of some questions that I don't know if he's really gotten into like some of the deep, do you decide to put yourself through like all of this pain and like mm-hmm. that people or this grief that people give you, you know, for all of that you're, you are and that you're doing. And, you know, he's, I mean, obviously he's someone who's been uh, probably interviewed and featured and documented more than anyone else, but I would really like to go there and get that perspective from him today. Um, you know, I don't, I don't need to know. I don't even want to go into the policy of it. It's just right, like yeah. for me, and I wrote this in the letter that I, that I wrote to the White House. And by the way, of course, I got like the, the stock response. It's like, <laughs> thank you for supporting the president. It's from him. But like, you know, thank you for supporting yeah. me. I believe in you. All that <laughs> stuff. Um, but uh, no, it's uh, it was just interesting because I, I wrote about like the fact that like beyond just his politics, like forget all of that. Like, mm. I love that he is such like a strong representative of the black community. I love that he is so in, like inclusive and like, I, I mean, in, in so many ways, I guess you could take them in a lot of directions, but like such like standing up so much for LGBT rights yeah. and like standing up so much for different, like, I don't know, different identities and people. And like, I just love that about him. Like I, I legitimately like love what he does. And I had the honor of like, at one point, I, I maybe it was like 2012 or something, shaking his hand, mm. and when I was at GW, and like that, I lost, I lost it. Like I, there's a video <laughs> out there, uh, me like oh, President Obama, and but I was, yeah, it's really embarrassing. Uh, but it was <laughs> like it show how much like personal impact yeah. he has on people. So I want to, I would want to get into that. That's what I want to get into for everyone I. I mm talk with and, and feature like it's not about what you're doing it's about who you are and right. i want people to look at the people i talk with and see themselves in those people that's right. really my goal yeah no no it's a beautiful goal yeah and especially because you get such a diversity of people too um just you know the show that we all have this unity we all, we're all part of the human race it's you know we are. <laughs> it's really important um Another thing I was just thinking of is, did you get, for how you conduct your interviews at 180 Degrees of Impact, like, um, did any any particular interviewers, anything you had observed help inspire, like, how you conduct that or the questions you ask, or was it more just kind of off the cuff or uh, self-created? Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier on that I was considering 
like studying journalism at GW. And I'm really glad I didn't because I don't think I ever really, you know, there's a lot of like a grind and like a path that you need to accomplish to become a journalist. And I don't think that would have worked for me, but, um, you know, I, I always kind of was, I always admired really great questions. Mm. Uh, and I, but I also admired like how the interviewers not only ask questions, but interact with people. So just to name people that, that come to mind, I remember there was a point where I really was like, wow, like Diane Sawyer is, I really like how she asks questions. Oh, I like like Katie Couric's approach. Mm-hmm. Love Robin Roberts, who's another one. Uh, she's on Good Morning America. Um, and she's one who I, I definitely want to interview because I wrote about her early on and like such an inspiration who brings her experience and like different her to the table in some of these conversations. And so, um, you know, that I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I feel like I just picked up on a lot of these things over time. And the strange thing to me is that my very first conversation was with this guy, Tim Yoon, who I'd met, you know, one time about a year before or so. And I, Tim was a, is a very friendly guy and he's very outgoing. And so I knew like, no matter what, this is going to be an interesting conversation, a good one to start with. And so, I mean, my questions really haven't changed from that very first interview. Like for some reason I came up with the, the last question about the book or documentary and that's stuck. And so I don't know, it's, it, I just feel comfortable with it. And I feel like I get a certain level of depth with the conversations I ask. And honestly, it's not super structured. I don't write out the questions before. I don't send people exact questions before. I do say to them, just like, think about these things. Think about some of the specific stories that you have. Think about like why you do the work you do. Think about what your vision is for what you want to do. Think about what the title might be to your like real life book or documentary. And then I, I've gotten some really great answers and I've had some really deep, 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 deep conversations because of it. Mm. Yeah. And no, I would love to just flip that question that you ask everyone else. So, I mean, what is, what is your, uh, what would your book or life documentaries title be? You know what? It's funny. I mentioned uh, Regina Northhouse, uh, who is from the food recovery network. And again, this, she was one of my like, probably first 10 interviews. And, um, she did that to me about exactly a year ago. She's like, what do you think? What's your book or documentary? And because it's really a conversation and I told her and I tell everyone, like, if you have a question for me, like just throw it out there in this and we'll all answer and we'll talk through it. It's cool. And so, um, you know, I think what I told her, which has changed, I think a lot, Um, and this is also, this was also like five months, I think after my dad passed away, but it was still, it's still like really numb. It's still something I deal with, which I think I want to point out, like you don't really get over grief and loss. So at the time, I think I told her something that came to mind for me before, which was like the idea of the courage to live. Like, I think one thing I've realized through 180 degrees of impact that it really takes courage, um, which I have tattooed on my wrist Mm -hmm. Um, it takes courage to live and 
to like live the, your best life and to put yourself out there and to live life to the fullest. So that was what I think I told her, but I don't know. It's, you know, it's tough. It's tough. There's a lot of, I mean, maybe I would call it, let, let me put it like this. There would, in my hope, there'd be like multiple books. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would just call it 180 degrees of impact and be boring, but like, <laughs> I, want, like man, I would like want to put in, I don't know. I want something that, Yeah. I think I, I want to really communicate like my journey talking with all these people and what I've learned. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have one because I feel like I've been so influenced by all the titles that I've been told. <laughs> uh, like one person uh, who I was talking with earlier this year, her title was 180 Puzzle Pieces of Me, which like she <laughs> took from based off of my conversations, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I'll tell you just the other day uh, or a couple of weeks ago, really, in thinking about all the conversations I had, I actually like wrote all of, or I printed out all of the, the names of the conversations on pieces of paper and I stuck them on the wall in my apartment. And, um, it was just mind blowing to see like about 50 pieces of paper with like all these different titles of like books and documentaries that people would have. And, um, mm-hmm. maybe my title would be something about that. Like just documenting people's, life books and documentaries and sharing that that's a great question though i don't know it's tough and also i'm now trying to think of what your title was i was i could like picture it in my head because i was staring at it but uh yeah yeah it's it's one that like inspired me too i oh man i'm blanking on it i think it was like how can i help you yes it was how can i help you uh yeah, so I don't know. It's tough when like I feel like a lot of my my story is again. I feel like I love I love going back to that theme of love where, um, you know, I, I would imagine that that book or documentary is going to be something that's full of gratitude and like me just reflecting on like how much like the people around me have helped build who I am now, and so you know. I don't know. We'll see how, what that'll be one day, but until then I'll just keep putting out other stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, my plan is to put out, like I mentioned now it's on like the podcast app as an example, I already have this project on the website. So there's that documentation there mm-hmm. and that story being told already, but I would love to do a book at some point, um, just with learnings, whether it's at the end of my project or somewhere along the way. So We'll see. I, I mean, people could just should just stay tuned to figure out about that. But um, if, if anyone has any ideas for me or if like you have any ideas for me on that title, let me know, because that was a great I mean, that's a great question. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, not to pat myself on the back because I came up with it. No, right. NBD, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that would be I'll figure it out. Yeah. It, I think it'll come to me one day in a conversation. I think yeah. I, I would imagine that just the way that I, I work and like a lot of things have come up, I bet someone's going to give me a suggestion one day and I'll kind of go from there mm-hmm. or it'll come. It'll be something in a conversation. My whole life, I feel like, especially my career has been so organic that um, 
it's going to be organic. You can't, I realize I can't plan these things. So that's probably why I'm struggling so much to come up with a title realistically. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. What what you're going through right now is the same thing that happens to me. If somebody asks me like what my favorite book is, like it's just always changing. And I, I get like this, some distinct pleasure every time I open a new book and see something in it all the time. Like this is my favorite book. No, this is my favorite book. This is my favorite book. Yeah. And so like to just pick yeah. one, it's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I mean, the difference is, I guess, like, I feel like you could always name a different book. Like if you're not, if you're okay with not being tied to a certain title, like you have a number of options. Whereas like, but, the, but like, whereas like the, the list of books that you could potentially read, like if someone asks you what you want to read, that's like, those options are actually limitless pretty much, you know, like there's no way you could read every book in the world. And so that's how I feel about coming up with the title. Like my options are limitless and I don't like to tie myself down to something. So, I mean, there is the courage to live idea and maybe I'll stick with that, but, um, we'll see. It'll, it'll come to me. Like maybe it'll come to me in like a dream or, or something and I'll like divine intervention or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but you'll know as soon as I know, probably. Mm. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Um, a question I always like to end with, um, although it might require a lot of thought or just thinking is, um, like what's the most memorable piece words of advice you've ever received? It could be from anybody at any time in your life. Um, yeah, whatever stands out. You know what? Um, that's tough and that's, that's really tough, but I have an answer. Okay. And cause something pretty immediately came to mind. So, I mean, I feel like, through 180 degrees of impact, I'm just constantly getting advice from people and asking them that question and asking them for, for like what advice they would share with people who want to create things and kind of be like them in a sense. But, um, you know what? So, oh, this is such a, like a, I, I talk about serendipity and I talk about like, there are cra- a lot of crazy things in life. So I'm, this is going to be my long answer getting to my point. Uh, my piece of advice, like I've just had a lot of strange coincidences in life. Like, um, there's this guy named Billy Ward who I have to interview. He was actually, I met him my freshman year of high school. He works at, um, the place where I went to high school and, um, he's like a guidance counselor, but also has such an inspirational, inspirational message about love and be loved. Like that's his whole thing. And actually my senior year at GW, I, um, I don't know why I even thought of him. Like, I don't know why he came up, but like, I thought like I should nominate him to do a TEDx talk at TEDx Foggy Bottom, which is like a large TEDx event with probably a thousand people each year. So I nominated him and he ended up giving this talk. And the date I think was like February 7th, 2014. And, um, he was on stage because I'm like, I need to see his talk because I'd heard him give this talk on love and be loved before when I was in high school. He, like, he'd given the talk a number of times and each time it was so emotional. And it's this talk about how, um, you know, he went to Georgetown University, but he, he wanted to play for, for the NFL. So he was like drafted by the Baltimore Ravens and he like was cut like the day before the start of the season. 
So he didn't actually get to play in like the actual season. He played in the preseason, but he was cut. And he had to figure out what to do with his life. So he decided to become a teacher um, in high school. And he started working at Seton Hall Prep, where I went. Um, and he met this kid um, named Daniel, who was one of his students in this class. And Daniel was like this little kid. Uh, as you can imagine, Billy Ward is like this massive guy, or like a pretty big guy having like been in the NFL. You can kind of imagine his stature. But he had this like kid Daniel in his class. Um, and um, Daniel was like a small guy, but like everyone in the school knew him and loved him. And, um, you know, long story short, without getting into that, like on February 7th, 2014 it turned out to be like the 11th anniversary of when daniel passed away like that exact day that the ted talk happened was that that day and like i've had lots of serendipitous moments like my flight here i switched i switched uh seats and ended up sitting next to like my mentor for the climate reality project who like we had a two and a half hour conversation on the flight here which made that flight a lot easier Mm -hmm. um so like you never know what life will hand you and, and that leads to my advice that, like, actually came from my, my dad. Um, and the reason I get to the serendipity is that, like, I mean, I, of course, did not know that he would die on, you know, March 8th, 2018, or 2017. I knew that it was coming at that point um, for about a month. But, like, if you asked me two months before, I'd be like, I wouldn't have no clue. Right. Um, and uh, it turns out that... Sometime in 2015, I actually recorded a, a conversation with him, an interview with him about his early life. And my goal was to do like numerous interviews to help him write a book about his life. And I would tell him like, you need to write a book about your life, whatever. Um, and, and actually on the one year anniversary of his death this year, I ended up posting it on 108 Degrees of Impact and listening to it. And it's a 45 minute conversation where I'm talking with him about his life. And, you know, the one piece of advice that he gave was like, you need to learn to make lemons out of lemonade. Um, and that wasn't just specific to me, but for him, um, he grew up in like civil rights era, Virginia in a County called Prince Edward County, where like this was the only place in American history, especially at that time where, um, they shut down the schools because of like racial tensions. Um, and like, they didn't want to integrate. So the school shut down for five years. And so lots of people like didn't receive like the rest of their education because school just ended for them at that time. They ended up working instead and never completed their education. My dad instead had to move away from, um, he moved away from Virginia when like his mom, Sophia gave him the opportunity and said, do you want to go live with like the Quakers or like the American friend services people? Some people know them. And so he moved from Virginia away from home to like New Jersey and then to Massachusetts to live with people, including like, um, a family of like Holocaust survivors. And like, so, you know, he, he, he never had an easy life in any way. Um, but he always had to learn to make lemons out of lemonade. And it's like for him in so many ways, I felt like he was the most chill person because it's like, everything's like water off a duck's back. You know, it's like, Hey, that's life. Like it happens. Sometimes it's not great, but like you have to make the best out of it. So that's a long way of saying that, uh, 
Yeah, life throws a lot of interesting things at you. Sometimes they're really tough. Sometimes they're really like exciting and there's that serendipity there and you can't believe that like coincidences like that exist. But no matter what, you need to make the most of it. And um, yeah, that's my advice. Make lemons out of lemonade. I don't think I would take that title from my dad because I, I consider that his title of his book or documentary, but who knows, maybe that would be. Yeah, no, that's really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> well, Matt, <laughs> thank you for coming on the Roundtable Chats podcast. It's been a real pleasure uh, to, to interview you, pick your brains, you know, hear your life story and everything. It's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Wait, wait, hold, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm going to do something. I'm going to pull something right now that uh, people do to me sometimes, like to ask you, like, what's your best piece of advice at this point after all these conversations i mean this is episode 10 it's a, a milestone i'm wondering like for you uh-huh. um uh, what which by the way i want to point out you have like such long conversations that i don't know what the math is but like i've had 30 hours of conversation and you're like pretty close to that <laughs> so, maybe uh, i don't know i've been keeping track but yes they can be quite long i think my longest like two hours and 40 minutes that was that, was that might have been the first one yeah which i, I was telling you i listened to when i was in ethiopia right. where i had horrible internet yeah like yeah i'm wondering from you uh and for anyone who's like listening to this like what advice do you have after these 10, based on these 10 conversations? Um, yeah, well, I guess one piece of advice is not to have expectations at all, if possible. I try to kind of go into each interview with a blank slate. Um, I noticed in the past with some guests I had who were friends who I had for a while, I might expect or even project sometimes where I want it to go. And like, I think yeah. that's a terrible way to go about it. It's much better to see, be very present um, and, and observing what they're bringing to the table and then going with that kind of like being water. Um, that would be the big piece of yeah. advice I would have with that kind of stuff. And that, that applies to life in general. I think you'll be much better off. Um, a lot of disappointment just comes to going to a certain arena, a class, a school, a, a party, an interview, whatever, thinking it'll go one way and then it's going nowhere near there, <laughs> or, you know, or just going a completely different path. Uh, much better to just have kind of an open mind um, with anything. I mean, the, the one thing I'll, I'll just say to that is that, like, and I've learned this, like, I had a conversation with my mom at one point when I was, so I went up to Harvard uh, in uh, for the social enterprise conference and my mom, actually something I didn't mention, my mom actually took me and, and um, my bro- my older brother to um, the conference in like 2009. So that's when I started to get exposed to social enterprise, which I think has a lot to do with like why I'm even more interested in, in that work now. But, um, you know, I managed to go with her this year and I got her to kind of meet me up in Boston. And that was really amazing to spend that time with her. But we were talking about some of the conversations I had and she said, you know what? Like, I won't name names, but like, I won't, I won't name names. She did. Uh, she's like, you know, that conversation that you had with so-and-so like, they just, 
like they think they know everything. This one person <laughs> thinks they know everything. And she loves like a lot of the conversations and a lot right. of them really resonate with her. But mm-hmm. like, it's like that person thinks they know everything. And like, it just, they come from such like their perspective comes from like such an entitled perspective. And mm-hmm. like, I was like, you know what, now that you mention it, like I hadn't really thought about it, but like, yeah, I get what you're saying. And I kind of came to the realization that like for me and maybe even for you, you know, we're in the kind of like the business that we ask people questions and you give them the room to respond. And like, you know, they either kind of sink or they swim or like they, you know, splash around in the middle or whatever happens. But like, you kind of just give people the space to respond and, and tell their own story and write their own real life book or documentary. And like, Hey, not everyone's is going to be as exciting or interesting or as informed as the next person's. Like I can tell you the couple people that she was referring to, I I then would contrast them with like, you know, I I talked with Tata Litsomo who she works with an organization, Young Love, and she literally was coming to the U S for the first time. Mm -hmm. That was her first visit to the U S in the, in Boston. And I, I guess I was like the first person she actually met and spoke with. And, um, like the contrast of that depth of her experience in Botswana, um, talking with like 50,000 kids about like HIV and AIDS is a lot different than some of the other people I've talked with. And like, yeah. she loved that conversation. And like, she met Tato cause she was, my mom was there in the, at the conference and like, yeah, you kind of just give people space to, to share who they are. And like, not every conversation is going to be awesome. And, but, um, be like as authentic possible about it. I'm hoping anyone, anyone who's listening is appreci- appreciates that. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know how, I, like I'll, I'll hand it back over to you <laughs> to like wrap up and like tell me and ask any final questions. But of course, like if anyone's listening at that, this point and wants to get in touch, by the way, I, I should totally post this on my, my podcast. It's like a bonus episode or something, yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah, like if anyone's listening, like they could easily reach me at like, my email hello at let's.care or just go to let's.care which is the website for 108 degrees of impact um like on the podcast app one thing i realized is that like the degrees if you search 108 degrees of impact it doesn't it's it, like it's so hard to come up so like oh, okay i just go to the website and i link to like stitcher and to like itunes where you can see the podcast and all that or you could search matt scott impact it'll come up yeah later. that's cool so uh, I don't know. That's kind of like where, I don't know. I want people to join me on the journey and get involved. And <laughs> yeah, I could ask them questions sure and let that. them sink or swim and, and, and everything. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of, uh, that's just, I just wanted to jump in and say that, <laughs> that you never asked me to say it. Yeah. And I'll definitely include that all in the, the description of, the, of this video and all that stuff. Um, when I post it, but I was just thinking, cool. yeah, with what you said, like, I think one of like the most enriching things about doing these uh, these episodes and these podcasts is like I never know where it's going to go. I might ask some similar questions with like, each guest, but they've been all, you know, completely distinct. And I, I love that I don't know where it goes. And like and that's how I feel about life in general. Like, I think it would be awful if, if yeah. like, you predict the future and you just see every twist and turn when it comes. Um, yeah. even the bad ones, but you know, yeah. it, it, and I was just thinking, uh, with what you mentioned earlier, 
the person who thought they knew everything when they're speaking. Like, yeah. if you knew that's how they were going to be before you did the podcast and you had to do it anyways, yeah. that would make the experience that much worse, right? Yeah. Like, if you knew ahead yeah. of time. I mean, that's, I agree. No, I agree completely. <laughs> and I mean, I've had times where I've, like, not done, I, I've, for, like, a couple, only a couple times where I've, like, actually canceled an interview where I was like, I don't think I'm vibing with this person. Like, I view it as a conversation, and there's a bond there with the people I talk with, and there needs to be. It's authentic. Yeah, and so sure. sometimes I just won't have those conversations. But I guess, like, the one thing I'll add is, like, if in case it's not clear, like, I don't, like, I feel like I've had a ton of really cool experiences in life and work and all that, like, and I don't, I won't even go into them because like, I'm, it's all, it, look at my LinkedIn page, whatever it's, I put stuff out there, but like, uh, if you really want to see it, you really don't need to see it. Like, it's not that important, but what I'm trying to say is like, I mentioned the grief stuff and, and in general, I just want people to know, like, it's okay to be far from perfect to like not know what you want to accomplish. Um, and I don't know, I, I just, this is fun. I'm glad that you do these longer conversations because it really made me think a lot about, uh, a lot of things that I haven't thought about. So this is a lot of fun. Yeah. On table pets. I hope there are a hundred, hundred more episodes or at least 10 more. episodes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I plan to keep doing it. Uh, I'm curious to see what kind of guests I can get now that I'm in Amsterdam. Um, yeah. you know, I can definitely get close to my goal of trying to talk to someone from each country. Um, yeah, that's oh, like nice. a lifetime goal, but yeah, you know, one at a time. I can't believe I already did 10. This was a perfect episode for the, for the 10th anniversary. Um, no, but yeah, really thank you for everything, man. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Cool stuff. And I mean, I, you know, if anyone's listening right now, I would just tell them to like, like tweet me or something or like add me on LinkedIn and let me know that they're hearing my voice at this point. <laughs> Cause I don't know. I just appreciate anyone who like, I know you would do too, of course, like anyone who takes the time to actually listen and, and, um, you know, kind of be part of this because we're just talking like, right. again, it doesn't even matter who listens. It's just like cool that we have this like deep, like two, like almost two hour conversation, which I think is not, doesn't happen enough. And as someone has, as people have said to me, like we need more conversation in the world. So mm -hmm. that's what I'll say. That's, I mean, I feel like I could keep going on and on. We could probably talk forever, but like, you have time limits and you, it also would take longer to, the longer <laughs> upload, you go yeah. on, the longer it takes to upload. And I don't know how your Wi-Fi speed is doing, but like, I'm trying to get, I don't want you to have to spend like three <laughs> days uploading this. So. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's, yeah, that's a great way to end it. Yeah, I know. I, I was just going to add to that. Just saying like, I've always been curious. Yeah. Who's listening as well. Um, I know some of my friends are regular user listeners, but you know, yeah. No, that'll be cool. This will be forever documented. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we'll figure out some other times to do this. Damn, this is cool. Do you have any closing? Uh, do you have any, like, I feel like you, you probably have, like, some closing stuff you say. Or you don't, you, maybe I, you don't say, I, I, but I, don't, I think you should have some closing. I think I should have some closing thing. I, I'll have to think about that more, what that this is. This is my legacy on the see on the flip no I, I think after the first one i did i'm trying to make sure 
have some sort of closing <laughs> that you can now for the next hundred episodes that you do. Well, I remember the first one when it lasted a while and I had a person with me in person. I said, like, you know, go outside, go, go get some fresh air now, you know, to the listener if they've been listening this say long. It again. I say I say keep impacting, but so I'm gonna That's say thing, for yeah. anyone who's watching who's watching or listening, keep impacting. And then you could say your catchphrase. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I'm not good with catchphrases. I have to think of something. Well, I'll do it for you. Yeah. Go out in nature, get some fresh air, take yeah. a walk, bond with people, have conversation, have a good time. I feel like that's what you would say. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that sounds good. Yeah. Cool stuff. Challenge yourself. Have hard, difficult conversations. Get to know somebody. Go on a deeper level. It's very enriching. Yeah. And where people, if they don't already know, where could they... Uh, listen to the roundtable chats um they can always find this at roundtablechats.com um or on my instagram pure thomas also post them all but if they're listening to this they'll know that yeah as well but yeah i think i think that wraps it up cool (laughs) thank you keep impacting yes